This is the Doctor Who Podcast. You are most welcome. It's back on our screens. Uh, if you like us, then you'd have just sat down, you'd have just finished watching Asylum of the Daleks. And this, this is what we thought of it. Hello and welcome to episode 159 of the Doctor Who podcast. And as James said, the time is finally upon us. We have all, including you, ingested the Asylum of the Daleks. Uh, And this is what we have thunk about it. Where are we? Spaceship, right? Not just any spaceship. The Parliament of the Daleks. The Asylum must be cleansed. The Predator of the Daleks will be deployed. I'm not a Predator, just a man with a plan. Doctor! Doctor! They killed all the Daleks. Who do you think? We can finally talk about it. <laughs> has it been as difficult for you guys as it has for me? Uh, in the first couple of days after seeing it, I was very aware that, that I'd seen something special here and that I couldn't say anything. Uh, you see, you can't say anything to loved ones. You, uh, but after a couple of days, I began to sort of um, almost forget what I could talk about and what I couldn't. And I, I became sort of worried that I was uh, like like Freudian slips, that things, things were slipping out and I, I, was, I was spoiling stuff. I'm pretty sure I haven't for anyone. But I began to sort of the, the lines between what I was meant to talk about uh, and what, uh, what I could talk about it sort of became blurred. So it became very difficult the, the longer it went on. Mm. Yeah, it has been difficult. It has been difficult. But having said that, the only people I would really talk about it with in great detail are you guys. I've actually been okay to talk about it with yourself, Lisa, and Ian, and, and Tom, because you were there with me. But as you all know by now, listeners, um, our, our last episode that you heard previewed all of season seven, and poor Trevor, who joined us, hadn't seen Asylum, and we had. So trying to record a, a preview of a season when um, you're coming at it from different angles is, is, is slightly difficult. But yeah, I, I'm actually really pleased that I'm now able to just tell people what I think um, I can talk about big plot points uh, we can say we can say without fear that yes we've known Jenna Louise Coleman has been in this episode for the best part of two and a half three weeks there I haven't said that out loud I don't think to anybody but uh, now it's it's funny because in in the uh, in, in my preparation for the for last week's episode uh, when we were doing the the, the spoiler reviews apparently uh, in, in one of the trailers and I hadn't spotted this somebody shouts doctor um, and it sounds like uh, Jenna Louise Coleman shouting it. So there was a big spoiler thread saying, have have the BBC uh, spoiled the big surprise in Asylum of the Daleks um, by sort of revealing that Jenna Louise Coleman is And It was one of these things, you know, where... If I hadn't have known, I would have read this and thought, absolutely ridiculous. Just one line in, in one trailer and they're reading so much into it. And uh, most of the replies were saying, this is an absolutely ridiculous theory. Absolutely. And I was just thinking, oh, uh, it, it's true. Well, I, I've seen that too. And as far as I'm concerned, I think that's someone's very, very elaborate way of 
telling people the plot points. Some whoever it was who came up with that was at the BFI. I guarantee yes. you, they've been at the BFI. They've seen the episodes and they thought, "I want to be able to spoil this without just saying she's in it." Mm. What way can I do this? And yes, it's quite a high maintenance way of doing it, but uh, but even so, I, I think that was. Um, you know, it's a massive leap. If it's a genuine, genuine um, deduction, then that individual makes Sherlock Holmes look a little bit silly. <laughs> I would like to to heap some shame on uh, SFX magazine uh, if if I yes, can pu- publicly, because because uh, they did quite openly um, spoil. Well, maybe not a, a major plot points, but uh, yeah, the certainly the new, as I like to think of them, uh, Robo Men for the new generation. That they they kind of spoiled that by by releasing the picture of of the woman at the beginning with the Dalek eye stalk about to emerge from the head. Mm, no, a little bit irresponsible there, but uh, mm. l- last year it was Doctor Who magazine. This time it's SFX, and uh, in all fairness, I don't read SFX, so I'd rather they be the guilty ones, really. Yes. But uh, but Ian, um, sitting there in a the corner, being very, very patient, how's it, how's it been for you, having seen the, uh, the show a couple of weeks ago? And now, you know, the lid is off. You can say what you like. I'm mostly in the same boat as you, James. I haven't. The only people I would speak to about it are you. It was very, very difficult, though, last week recording with Trev. And there were certain points where, for example, Trev said, Oh, we're getting the new companion at Christmas. And I could, and I could hear all three of us just biting our tongues and saying nothing because that was really, really tough. Is that there were things you really wanted to be able to say, which, and then, you know, some of the um, directions Trev was going off down, and you think, no, you're completely wrong about the predator there, Trev. But you couldn't say it. So it's nice to have it all out in the open, and we can now sit here and talk about, yes, Jenna Louise Coleman. How's that all going to work? Because <laughs> it's going to be very strange, yes. I, I, I mean, is this the same character as the one that's coming back at Christmas? Is it the same person? Isn't I believe the name is different, isn't it? So I'm really, really, and for me, this is, and I'm, I, when we did the BFI review, I alluded to this actually, that there was a really big question going forward into the series that I was looking forward to discussing. And this is it, is how on earth are they going to tie this up? I mean, this is this season's mystery to me. And I think it's very clever of Moffat to have done it with such a big surprise, is how on earth we're going to square the circle of the Jenna Louise Coleman as a Dalek to one in Victorian times with a different name, either the same, they've got to be the same mm. in some way. So very odd. Yes, I mean, are we going to go back and now find out her journey up to this point? It's Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mind-boggler. It's, uh, well, it's Moffat, isn't it? I think we really should get into discussing whether we liked it or not. And uh, I'm, I'm, I won't hog the limelight. Ian, I'll ask you once again, did, did, did you actually enjoy Asylum? I did. I thought it was a great episode. Uh, it lived up to the billing of being a Hollywood blockbuster on your TV screens in 45 minutes. Um, I thought the themes were great. I loved the Doctor throughout this. The surprises, the whole thing with uh, the Jenna Louise character was Really, really surprising. You, you, when we were at the BFI, you could see nobody in the room saw that coming at all, and it really was a big shock and was and was played very, very nicely. The the, the only slight thing and I know that everyone's going to say this is that the the much hyped every Dalek ever mm-hmm. was as I feared it might be props in the background. They, they didn't do anything with it at all. I all, I was always afraid that was going to happen and in fact uh, you won't have seen this James because in uh, this month's SFX there's an interview with Stephen Moffat when he straight out says that's exactly what they did. They just did it as a publicity stunt to, to, to keep thing, the, yeah. the media going while they got on with the real story. It was never meant to be all that big a deal which was 
a slight shame. It was a slight shame. And I do actually wonder if it was always meant to be like that because there was a particular scene where they call out to Spiridon and Exelon and I think Vulcan and Kemble. So, you know, classic Doctor Who stories and say these Daleks were in those stories. That was the perfect opportunity to wheel out those old props and have a moving. And I actually, and it's such a perfect opportunity. I wonder if they actually wrote it that way, but then on a day for practical reasons, it didn't fly, so they had to go and bring it back. But, you know, it's a fan thing. It would have been nice if that had happened, Mm -hmm. but I really, really don't need it. And it didn't detract from my enjoyment of the show. And if I actually sit back and look at it from a distance, I'll trade not having that fun for getting the bronze Daleks back rather than the, the Dalek tubbies. <laughs> which, which of course, Stephen Moffat has, has, well, for a while now, been claiming that was always the plan. A post-I-Dalek backlash, wasn't it? Uh, he said, uh, I know, I, all I've done is create an officer class. You know, they were never meant to, to uh, the original bronze Daleks were never going to be gone forever. It was just a ploy to get more props. But I wonder how much of that is truth and how much of that is, is sort of uh, is backtracking. I, I agree. Uh, g- given, given the poor reception. I, I think if... if- any executive producer could successfully introduce a brand new Dalek, he would take that opportunity, or she would take that opportunity, with open arms. Mm. Because it, it's a way to really stamp your mark on the series hugely. I think the, the reason they've backtracked so much is because of the backlash, and because they do look very, very silly. I mean, we've said that before um, on, on the DWP. But uh, but Lisa, no, the, the Dalek issue aside, what did, what did you think? What was your gut reaction to the episode? Uh, I absolutely loved it. It felt like a roller coaster ride um and uh but who knows I mean, because we saw it in, in, a, in a in quite a special um set of circumstances we we saw it at the, at the premiere so that there's already a certain buzz and a certain anticipation um but but i, I think it completely lived up to it i was um it was over in a blink of an eye but felt sprawling and epic um it, it hit all the buttons and my my biggest fear, as, as well as Ian, was was that the um, the every Dalek ever would be a bit of a blip, and I think I even said in in our little preamble before we went in that I'm hoping it's not just going to be they'll go into a room and there they are in the background and that was it and that was exactly what it was. So there was a moment of disappointment, but everything else that happened uh, in the episode, um, the the way it was told, the way it panned out, the surprise of General Louise Coleman more than made up for that uh, completely. And I love the re imagining as as i'm going to com- continue to refer to them as 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 the, as the, as the robo men you know these they're, they're robo men for a new generation and they are fabulous mm. they they are i mean the daleks have looked for ways to get round their practical movement difficulties for ages you know it's it, i mean it is exemplified and demonstrated very clearly in the fact that they have difficulty climbing stairs or they have had difficulty climbing stairs i know that's been addressed now but even so they don't have the human traits to be able to coerce and you know engage in subterfuge in a really really convincing manner therefore they've always had to try and again excuse the pun find a way of bringing in that human element which of course <laughs> that, that dates back all the way to uh, to the 60s and 70s but I agree it was very very effective uh, once again a little bit perhaps Battlestar Galactica who's a Cylon who's a human uh, there's no real way of telling um, it's not a very novel way of of introducing shocks and plot twists but in this episode it was it was very very effective and the most iconic thing about any Dalek, I think, is probably the ice stalk. 
And of course, what do you see on these these new robo men, as we, we're going to call them from now on? I think, Lisa. Um, and of course, you see, you know, a miniature ice stalk, but it's just as just as menacing. I was very reminded of the Dalek troopers from Resurrection of the Daleks, mm-hmm. with their helmets, with the single eye <coughs> stalk out the front there, and the conditioning as well. But yes. again, as you say, that all harks back to the robo men before it. Yeah, I mean, well, the Dalek, the Dalek replicas in that one, which were uh, originally going out and uh, be given key roles in governments and bring bring down bring down governments and uh, assassinate the uh, president of the high council yeah I, I see it as a, as a continuation of that technology that they've um, that then they can not only replicate human beings now but they can they've also they've gone that one step further oh absolutely it's all in keeping with uh, previous dalek law if you like you know i don't think people can really complain that much about that um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the episode, and largely I agree with, um, with with the pair review and what you say. But I am going to draw on my two negative points first uh, before I get into to, to, to praising all of the other elements. Um, first of all, do you remember back in '96 the opening couple of scenes? In fact, I think it was the opening scene. Uh, we didn't even see the Daleks. We we heard the Daleks put the Master on trial, right? And at the time, uh, despite the fact they sounded you know completely wrong. Why would the Daleks recognise anything as official or an institution like a trial um, you know, or a court? Surely they would just exterminate people if they wanted to. And in the same way, I'm not certain a Dalek parliament makes a great deal of, of sense. That basically means you've got a bunch of Daleks, and as we saw from, from the episode... It wasn't just a few. I mean, there were 600-odd MPs. There were something like 6,000 Daleks in the Parliament. Do they really sit down and debate Dalek law? I mean, what is a Dalek Parliament for, apart from just an excuse to bring them all together um, to ask the Doctor for for help? I I, I think it's a bit odd, imposing human ideas into Dalek culture, I suppose it's more reminiscent of the uh, of the of the comic strips from, from the sixties, the uh, where there was more of a Dalek society, and you and you saw more of that sort of thing going on. Um, it seems that they've pulled in elements of that, but I mean, I suspect like you yeah, that, that it, it probably is just an excuse to have um, have the whole uh, have, a, have a room where they're all there. Uh, I am pleased that it was called a Dalek Parliament, not a Dalek Senate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it it did actually feel a little bit Star Warsy, didn't it? Particularly um, Phantom Menace, where there, there was a number of scenes set in in the Senates there, and I I I don't know. It just didn't really feel quite right. The Daleks don't sit around and decide what the best thing to do is. I mean, can you imagine the debates? It's bad enough with Cameron and Miliband now in the House of Parliament, the real House of Parliament, if you've got like the different Dalek factions. I mean, you're looking, Remembrance, they don't sit down and have a Parliament. They get off and, you know, fight it out and exterminate each other. But that's it is a very, very minor point. So that, that that's a little bit uneasy with me. But not not as much, not as much as my next points, which does lead on to it, and that's the fact that the Daleks have an asylum anyway. They basically <laughs> have a hospital for not very well Daleks, and you know, I, or, it was either a hospital or it was a place where they can just chuck. It was an asylum. Why have an asylum? The precedent was set very, very clearly and very, very recently in Victory of the Daleks. If a Dalek is inferior. It either self-destructs or it's exterminated. It is not sent either to get better or into an asylum. Mm-hmm. So that concept in itself, I feel, mm-hmm. was slightly flawed. And, and I'm not complaining, and I'm, I'm really not complaining about the episode. 
that to me felt, well, who's going to help them get better if it is a true asylum? But is someone going to lay a Dalek down on a couch and, and talk him through his issues? <laughs> I, I just don't see it working if you think it through, you know, um, in, in, in the, or if you treat asylum or if you interpret asylum um, in the same way that humans would, you know, that, that particular word, it doesn't seem quite right to me. But 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 that aside... Because <laughs> it almost uh, it infers an element of caring, you know, yeah. that, uh, you know, oh, bless them, uh, we'll, we'll send them somewhere where they can sort of live out their days. In. Well, precisely. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think uh, it, it crossed my mind as we were watching it, uh, uh, but but I immediately thought uh, the, the fact that that... that idea doesn't work is so far overshadowed by the, the, the fact that I quite like the idea of yeah. of going down and, and, uh, and being in the asylum and having that as, as, as a central peg to hang the story on. So I was quite happy to, for, to forget about that. I, I think that the whole concept of the Daleks having to have something that they're genuinely scared of, aside from the Doctor, uh, that they need to ask the Doctor's assistance to, uh, um, to, to deal with. I mean, there isn't anything, is there, really? I mean, there isn't anything the Daleks are scared of. It's It's you know, it was alluded to in Destiny, I think, that they were slightly concerned about the Mavellans and the fact that they couldn't beat them in a war. But mm. at no point was it ever stated we are actually scared of them. And I think, therefore, yes, Daleks that are unpredictable are the only logical thing mm. that Daleks, you know, regular Daleks, could actually be frightened of and a little bit scared, you know, aside from the Doctor. But that, but that aside, everything else worked. Um, I, I think it's probably worth mentioning... Uh, to listeners here that the version we saw in the BFI could still have been tinkered with you know things get changed right up until the date of transmission mm. uh, so what I'm about to say now may not have been broadcast uh, as you're listening to this last night uh, but there was some brand new um, opening titles as well mm-hmm. they'd, they'd rejigged um, uh, the title sequence now that was one of the very first for me. It was oh my god moment. Mm-hmm. It was it was wow. I thought that was wonderful. The fact that we saw the new companion very early on in the episode was. I mean, I, I had to check. I think it was actually was it you, Lisa? And I, I leaned over and said, "Is that Jenna Louise Coleman?" Yeah, there was a ripple around the room, wasn't there? And and you could hear people sort of whispering to the people next door. Is it? What was that? Is that? And and, and then there was a, a sort of dawning realization. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that that was that was phenomenal as well. Um, and of course it opens on Scaro. Mm. You know that we get to see Scaro in the opening uh, in in the new series of Doctor Who, which was a massive wow. They've actually gone to to, to Scaro. But uh, all of those things aside, and the fact that I really liked that what the story was really about, which of course is all about Jenna Louise Coleman's mm. character. Um, I, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I, I love the frame um, of, of Amy and Rory not getting along any, anymore. And um, and this is something else that Trev said oh, yes. in, in, in the episode a few days ago. You know, what's happening? Maybe it's Amy and Rory she's trying to get away from. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's absolutely spot on. Doesn't happen very often with <laughs> Trevor, <laughs> or me for that matter. But for that one, he nailed it completely. And there was a deathly silence in the camper van. <laughs> Which I think may have given it away. There was, but I, I think we just about pulled it back. <laughs> Although I actually 100% disagree, because at the end of this episode, Amy and Rory are back together again, yeah. and they've realised again how much they love each other. And my thought is much more that Amy's now going to realise that she's running away from her life with Rory mm. to be with the Doctor. And I think that's what it is, rather than she wants to run away from Rory. Yeah, I think you actually agree. I mean, that's pretty much the same as what I'm saying. I think uh, and, and, and initially, I mean, the whole the whole premise of 
Amy and Rory not getting along, I think makes a lot of sense for most of the reasons that Trevor has always advocated in the past is because she treats him terribly. I mean, I think Trev used the word unfaithful the last episode. That isn't actually true as far as we know but she does oh she would have been at the drop of a hat she certainly well yeah but was she really yes she was with rory i suppose in flesh and stone yeah she, yes. she wouldn't have had a real concern uh looking at the way that's that that's that's um scene played out had she been unfaithful but I, I i don't like amy i've never liked amy and i do think rory is far far too good for her and it's not inconceivable for me um, to think that that relationship is fairly doomed. <laughs> but by the end of the episode, as you say, Ian, they're, they're back together again. And I do think that is going to be the central premise. They'll either die together because they they realise how fantastic mm. they are together. And maybe Amy will start valuing Rory. I mean, there was actually a line in this episode mm. as well where, where Rory says, we've both known I love you far more than you love me. And that's what I've felt ever since um, I got involved in um, in this particular story arc with Amy and Rory. Amy and Rory's relationship has always reminded me of when I was a young teenage geek at school and there were the cool kids and some of the cool girls who were very attractive but who were frankly out of my league as a, a geek because at school that you were and they treated you like dirt and you tra- trailed around after them and they were, they, they were quite um, nasty in the way they... And, and casually nasty while still keeping you on the hook and that's... What I've always felt about uh, Amy and Rory's relationship is that she knew that he was completely hooked on her and she could just manipulate him and play with him and generally use him as her plaything. And he would keep coming back like the sad puppy over and over and over again. And it always, always, always bugged me, that relationship, because it, it looked almost abusive the way she treated him. And it's not so much that she was unfaithful to him, I just thought she treated him very badly. Um, but that seems to be softening now. There, there seems to be a certain element of equality coming back into it, probably since Rory spent, you know, 2,000 years stood outside the box being the puppy but he seems to have grown a pair in the process as well and has become a much stronger character and he's taking control a bit more I mean, you grew an auton pair I wonder if we're going to get and um, this is this has only just occurred to me that, that we might get a complete reversal um, so that um, uh, eventually the tables turn full circle and uh, and Rory is the stronger partner in, in the relationship and uh, and perhaps decides to move on uh, and and that the, the relationship is doomed for all those reasons we've just discussed, and Amy becomes the one who who pines after him. Uh, I, I wonder whether that would be a nice sort of circular way to to do it. it Wouldn't could... be a very jolly way to end the uh, the story, though. No, that's that's the real thing. But then again, it's a little bit more jolly than them um, dying, uh, which is yes. what we were advocating <laughs> or, or suggesting may happen. And and, and bear in mind, you know, there, there's an unfinished or. Um, unresolved problem created once again i'm thinking it was chris chibnall's episodes in series five it was the silurian two-parter uh where they see the future amy and rory do you remember that at the beginning mm, of those yes, yeah. you know and chris chris chibnall i can just about say his name um is it's is quite involved in in season seven not only is he writing two episodes he's writing two episodes that star rory's father um, and Chris Chibnall, once again, was at the BFI screening. So I think it's clear that he is heavily involved in the plotting of the Pond's long-term story. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, everything, the main focus of this first half of season seven is all about the Pond's um, mm. and, and tying up their story. And I think, you know, how the stories pan out usually, there's either a happy ending um, or, or there's going to be, you know, a fairly 
final conclusion one way or another so well we have the the new trailer which says um uh, every story has a beginning middle and an end but not necessarily in that order yeah <laughs> which is really weird because I've, I've just been listening to the latest big finish trilogy and the seventh doctor says exactly the same thing <laughs> in <laughs> that play um so just just pure coincidence there but yes anyway getting back to a song well, maybe the seventh doctor is pulling the strings on the seventh series <laughs> Maybe uh, Amy and Rory's ending is in their past after the angels drag them yes, back yes, in time, yeah. as we yes, predicted last yeah. week. I, I do like the idea of it, but it's it's there. There is a slight problem with that theory. There, there's no <laughs> question there is, is that the Doctor or any Doctor in the future could just go back and get them. I think it, it, the way you, I mean, Moff has famously said that he can plot around things like that in a sentence. Mm. If, for example, and this happens yes. in Blink as well, uh, older versions of Amy and Rory turn up during the story and save them, and we see them to do so, that then becomes, I can't change that because it would create a paradox, blah, 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 techno babble, and it can stick. There's always a way they can make the. I mean, if you don't allow those things, the entire universe of Doctor Who would collapse mm. in on itself and make no sense. No, true, true. And I, and I think where the the rules that they make up as they go along are fairly credible, I'm willing to go along with it, but it just depends if it's a case of saying, you know, well, why why didn't you just go back and he could do quite easily? And, and, and you know, it, it depends whether or not that story strand is left loose. You know, um, I, I, I'm much more confident in Moffat tying things up than I am in RCD <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll have to see but uh, but overall and again it feels like I've I've spent most of the time on this show criticizing um, uh, Asylum and I really don't mean to because I did enjoy it um, I, I do think it was probably the most epic and uh, a sprawling adventure as indeed was promised by the production crew uh, that we've seen to date it's certainly been the most cinematic uh, you know I could quite easily have um, watched this in a a cinema, a proper cinema, you know, with a really large screen as opposed to a slightly smaller um, screen at the BFI. And it would have felt perfectly natural. Um, mm. The Daleks had never looked so good, um, despite the fact that I think all of the classic Daleks were criminally underused, as, mm. as you both have already alluded to. Um, I, I, it still looked good and it still had enough of those little... Mm. Um, nods back to the old series to say very very clearly this is one story this is one story yes we're telling it in a completely different way these days but the there's mm. enough there for people like the three of us to uh, to really really enjoy this episode and of course people who aren't familiar with all of the backstory and all of the old daleks it's not going to bother them in the slightest it doesn't impact them adversely in any way shape or form but yeah as, as far as i can say it, it was a very very strong opening episode yeah that that's straddling the the the, the um the divide between keeping uh, staunch fans happy and not bamboozling more casual fans is is a difficult one to get and uh, and I I just think they they do it rather well well Moffat does it rather well and I think and I think since the show's come back they've done it rather well if you pander to us too much then uh, you you tend to lose the well as has happened in the tail end of the McCoy era you tend to lose the the casual viewer but Matt Smith was quoted as saying I think we've made the Daleks scary again and he hit the nail on the head there they they are back they are scary and they've forgotten the Doctor which I really really like the idea of I I completely forgot about but yes <laughs> <laughs> no and that that was brilliant and normally I I shy away from any use of of Doctor Who. Uh, uh, 
uh, within the show. It just, it, I always roll my eyes. Um, but we have the Daleks repeatedly saying it at the, at the end of the episode, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. And, and it, it, I, it just filled my heart with joy. I thought, brilliant. They've forgotten. Not only has the universe forgotten him, his, his greatest enemy have forgotten him as well. Where, where can they go with that? It would just be brilliant. No, and I, and I agree completely. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the rolling of the eyes thing. Um, mm. Tom always rolls his R's, incidentally. But, uh, <laughs> but I certainly am thinking, oh my God, you can't continually just say the name of the title. Because that is basically now, uh, the last three episodes of Doctor Who... Doctor Who has been said as part mm. of the dialogue um, fairly substantively in, in, in two of them. So, we, you know, I, I, I'm happy with the way things have been left at the end of this episode. I think it's a fascinating idea that the Daleks have no idea of who the Doctor is. And mm. it's almost a reboot, but it's done in such a way that you don't think it's a reboot. And I'm mm. certain there are going to be some Daleks who retain their memory. Um, but yeah, really good to see the, the Dalek Supreme. I'm not quite sure what his title is now but as far as I was concerned that big splodge in a, in a tube was the same mm. as the Dalek Emperor or Supreme um, who was in Parting of the Ways Oh, he was a bit smaller wasn't he uh, but uh, maybe he's lost some weight <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you James there's been a few instances of new series episodes that are either directly or possibly indirectly lifted from big finish stories uh, I happen to have just listened to The Juggernauts which starts off with the Doctor being kidnapped by the Daleks because something strange is happening on a planet and for technobabbly reasons the Daleks can't go down there because there's something that will kill them. So they want him to go in and investigate and correct the uh, menace for them, which turns out to be, in that case, uh, more Dalek technology. Uh, and in fact, I think there's even a parallel line where the Doctor says to them, you could send an assault squad in there yourself, which then leads to the Technobabble explanation. Do you, th do you think there is a parallel here to Asylum? It's been a very long time since I've listened to the Juggernauts. I think that's a Scott Allen Woodward play. I can't remember now, but I remember loving it. It's a Sixth Doctor and Mel story. And now that you mention it, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think there are a number of stories that have lifted things from ideas in, in big Finnish plays. And I don't always credit them, mainly because it could genuinely be a coincidence. It really, really could. That's being at my most magnanimous. But I think when you're Stephen Moffat, when you're Russell T Davis, you know, you listen to Big Finish. And I knew Russell T Davis listened to Big Finish before he went on record and said that he did. And some of those ideas are going to work their way into your psyche. You've got to be careful not to rip it off completely. <laughs> but it would be it would be a bit churlish to say that some of the ideas didn't turn into something else. And who knows? Um, Moffat, I'm pretty certain, is aware of Big Finish's work. He will know the author. Um, <laughs> it will certainly be familiar, perhaps, with that, with that idea. But who, who knows? Who knows is a very long way of saying, I don't know. <laughs> what, what do you think do you think there is then <laughs> it, it sounded very because I happened to have listened to the juggernauts literally about two days after Asylum mm. and was immediately struck with just the opening piece once it actually gets down to the planet it goes off in totally different directions but uh, that opening conceit the way they framed the story was very similar I thought in terms of the, the setup and the, the drivers and I'm sure there was a line that's almost parallel into that one about sending a squad of Zarleks down uh, because it's the obvious thing to say. You know, why don't you just go in yourself? Yeah. But maybe that maybe that is why they're both there is because it is the obvious line to say. Well, perhaps it is. Who knows? I mean, y you look at um, Night Terrors. Uh, parts of that are very similar to Rob Shearman's Chimes of Midnight. 
Rob Shearman was heavily involved um, in, in season six, even though he didn't actually write anything there. So, you know, you, you just you just don't know, really, do you? So the, the other thing that I picked up on this episode, which I think is going to come back later in the series, and I think it could well be to do with the finale, is this whole idea that Amy can't have children anymore because of something that happened at Demon's Run, and that's the cause of the tension in her marriage to Rory, um, and because of his desire to have kids. Now, that seems to be a really big character point to drop in without there being a reason for it. And I don't think the reason was just to explain why they divorced, because there's no particular reason for them to be divorced at the beginning of the series. It's... I, I, well, bear in mind we've got Pond Life to come. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll see some of it in there, although probably not as much as we might mm. think. But um, I'm wondering if that's going to end up coming back in a big way when we get to them leaving the series at the end. I mean, there's been an awful lot of talk about how heartbreaking it is and how everyone's going to be in floods of tears and how emotional it was. And there's also that throwaway that Moffat said that someone's not going to make it out alive, someone's going to die. And I think everyone's assumption has been someone will die and it will be very, very sad. But I wonder if they actually might be slightly disconnected and that the thing that brings all the emotion out is that somehow Amy and Rory end up having children, having their family, and perhaps in the past, clinging on bravely to my kooky theory, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that they have this family life and you see them being happy together at last and that's where it becomes very heartwarming and the emotion floods out and everyone ends in tears <sighs> who, who knows I, I think uh, the one thing we can agree on is that asylum has certainly sent us into speculation overdrive and that's, that's very similar to um, the impossible astronaut and day of the moon i mean that, that one of the things that people did online massively um we, we speculate about what was going to happen and i, I don't think the online community have been as vibrant uh, until those two stories. But I fully expect the forums uh, to be buzzing after Asylum. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we'll see where the show can go from here. Because, I mean, a, a, apart from these, well, we've got another, what, four? Is it just four now? Uh, four episodes to watch uh, in, in this series. Um, they're going to be mini-movies. They're all going to be big. They're all going to be event-laden. They're not all going to be utterly imbued and uh, dripping with character moments there are going to be some big crashes and you know some fairly self-contained stories as well i i wonder you know how much room is left in um these next four episodes to deliver us to wherever the pond story is going to to, to end probably not that much more time i'm dripping with anticipation to to find out though right. <laughs> uh, this uh, this opening episode is just it, it's it's hit every button for me, uh, and even the parts that disappointed me didn't disappoint me enough to 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 take the shine off. Oh, wonderful! Okay, well, I, th I think there's a fairly universal um, thumbs up from the DWP camper van. I don't think anyone has said that they disliked it. Uh, my, my two nickels aside, I would have said this is a very very strong opening to the series and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to well I never thought I'd say this dinosaurs on a spaceship next week <laughs> what I will say is uh, I don't know what I thought about the reworking of the of the theme music because we didn't get it at the BFI and I suspect we're gonna that we have just got it on the telly I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that one in the edit <laughs> Mm. 
we've talked about how surprising it was that Jenna Louise Coleman was there, but actually her performance was brilliant and I loved the character. I thought it was really, really good and totally lived up to the here is a companion that's really going to challenge the Doctor idea that's been trailed in advance. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what they do with that character at Christmas and next year and how they move on from it. I mean, one of the things I find fascinating is that what made her so clever, what made her such a challenge to the Doctor was because she was a Dalek and had a battle computer for a brain. And you, you had this combination of human and Dalek. And if they're going to carry that incredibly intelligent, incredibly switched on character forward, which I think they have to, that logically means that there must still be some Dalek element in the character when she comes back at Christmas. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that, that plays out. And I really hope they do carry on with Jenna's character being as strong as she was in this, because I thought I really enjoyed her. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was kind of remiss of us not to mention earlier, but uh, it was a superb opening performance. And, and you can see immediately why she wowed uh, the, the, um, the casting panel. Um, uh, you can see the energy. I mean, I'd never seen her in anything else. Uh, but she, yeah, she, she won me over straight away. I, I thought it was a reasonably strong performance. Uh, I like the idea behind the character. Um, certainly the fact that she's, she, she was a Dalek yeah. uh, or is a Dalek. And, I, you know, clearly... By the time she's travelling with the Doctor, she will not be a Dalek. Um, really? You know, so the, 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 oh, she, really? she can't be. So I, I think there's going to really? be... Yeah. But, but could it be the same consciousness somehow technobabbled yes. into a person? I, mean, I agree that you can't have a Dalek rolling around on set. That oh, would no. be somewhat difficult, particularly in Victorian times. <laughs> but... Uh, Especially in that skirt. But I think that in terms of the character, the actual essence of who she is, I think it has to be a continuation. Mm. The, the impression I got was that prior to being a Dalek, she was a much more ordinary, average human being. And I think if you were to return to that, having seen this amazing version mm. of her, it would be a letdown. It would actually be a bit, of, a bit deflating at Christmas, and I can't see Moffat doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really expect it to be, to be a Dalek prop uh, as the companion, but I, I suspect, as, as Ian does, that, that, yeah, that, that it will be the same consciousness. Do you know, I'd really like a Dalek prop to be a companion. I'm, I'm, I'm sold on the idea now. <clears throat> I'd like to see it picking its outfit in the, in the wardrobe room. Absolutely. I think it would be fascinating. I mean, the, the comic strip did it with a, um, uh, a Cyberman, <laughs> I can't remember which doctor oh, yeah. it was now, but it was Croton the Cyberman. Um, <laughs> but so, so why not? Let's push the envelope. Yeah, why not? The other thing that occurs to me is that going into the 50th anniversary year, if you go right back to the very start of Doctor Who, the only reason it exists is because of the Daleks. There's been this hand-in-hand relationship between the series and them from the very, very beginning because they are what made the show. And there's a lovely meta thing where going into the 50th anniversary year, the Doctor's companion is in some way a Dalek. And once again, the Doctor is hand in hand with a Dalek going into the anniversary. That strikes me as something that Moffat would really like. And I can actually see him saying that in interviews, that he felt that in the 50th anniversary year, the Doctor and the Daleks need to be together somehow to celebrate that. Mm. Well, possibly. I, I, I think it was always going to be on the cards that the Daleks would feature very prominently in a celebratory year. It would be inconceivable, really, for them not to. Uh, whether or not he's gone to the lengths you suggest that he might have done, um, I, I know a man who would have done, and that's uh, that's Tom. <laughs> Certainly, I'm sure he'll be with you on that. Uh, but it does make sense uh, for the Doctor and the Daleks to to walk hand in hand into the twilight, into the 50th anniversary year, certainly. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I quite like that image. I think we probably need to wrap up, chaps. Uh, we've, we've spoken about Asylum uh, for long enough, really. 
And all, all that really remains is for us to say that we want to know what you think about it. And uh, it's extremely rare that our listeners are backwards in coming forwards uh, in, in letting us know their opinion. So do feel free to drop us emails. But bear in mind, the feedback we'll be able to feature on the show is going to be audio feedback principally that will always, always get priority here at the DWP, mainly because we're an audio podcast. So if you can keep your recordings to under two minutes, please, and send them to feedback at the Doctor Who podcast, we'll try to feature as many of them as we can as soon as possible. It may not necessarily be the very next episode, but at some point when we get round to talking about the episodes you leave your feedback about, we will play them. And in the meantime, I need to thank Ian once again for, for stepping out of the annex. Wonderful uh, to have you in the main part of the, the camp of Ian. Thank you very much. This is actually three episodes in a row that I've appeared in the main cast. Do I get my own chair now? Absolutely not. No, Leeson still hasn't got his yet. Guys, time to say goodbye. We'll be back in seven days' time to talk dinosaurs. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Cheerio. That was the Doctor Who podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.